Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. Hello everyone, welcome to another Friday episode of Running on Joy. And my guest today, at just 19 years old, has embarked on an incredible cycle journey from their home in Maine to Key West, Florida, to raise money for the East Coast Greenway, a 3,000-mile pedestrian and bicycle path that connects the two states. But as if that wasn't impressive in itself, they're completing the journey on not two wheels, but one, riding an average of 20 to 30 miles a day on a unicycle. So I'm incredibly excited and intrigued um, to to learn more about them um, and to now invite them to introduce themselves in the manner of their choosing. So welcome to the podcast. Hi, hello. I'm Avery. Uh, Thank you so much for inviting me on. Uh, I'm a unicyclist. I'm riding from uh, Maine to Florida, as you said, uh, and I started in September 8th, so I'm about four months in or so, and uh, I've just now reached Florida. Uh, I'm currently near Titusville, Florida. And sitting in the beautiful morning Florida sunshine as well, In a, just to set the scene for, for everybody, um, because this is an audio podcast, there's Avery in a very cool tie-dye t-shirt with ice cream on uh, advertising an ice cream shop in Maine, I think. Um, and then the unicycle is is perched behind as well. Does the unicycle have a name? Does the unicycle want to get introduced or is it is it unnamed? Um, I haven't named the unicycle, but I probably should. So I'll, I'll think about that. That's a good that's a good question. <laughs> okay, maybe we can put that out there as a, as an invite. People, please, can you comment with suggested names for the unicycle, please? So, yeah. <laughs> so Avery, um, uh, what was growing? What's growing up like been for you? I mean, sometimes I ask people what's growing up like, and it's kind of quite a few years ago. But you were you were just nineteen, um, and so I, I'm interested to kind of delve into into your childhood and sort of your relationship to movement um, before we kind of focus in on what you're doing at the moment. <laughs> um, so I grew up in uh, a small island just above Jacksonville, Florida called, um, Fernandina beach. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, lived there for a couple of years until around fifth grade. And then we moved up to Maine where my mom is originally from. So we went to live with, uh, her family there. And, uh, I currently live in Wells, Maine, uh, which is a nice sort of, uh, it's near some of the more, the areas down by the ocean and it's also got 
good proximity to some of the cities, which, uh, you know, it's a nice area. I like Wells a lot. And were you sort of active as a younger child? I mean, definitely. I learned how to cycle uh, in Florida on a, on a bike. And um, I biked quite a lot when I got into Maine um, recreationally. Uh, but mostly, like, getting to school, uh, I'd be driven everywhere because I, I don't know, I lived uh, pretty far from the uh, school that I attended in elementary school. So it would be like an hour drive to get to school uh, every day. I remember that being kind of a frustrating experience. Uh, And then when I moved up to Maine, even though I lived a lot closer to my school, I just uh, kept, you know, driving uh, to it, even though at that point I was only like a mile away, just out of habit, you know. Mm. Um, I used to bike a lot recreationally but when I was uh, very very early on into my time in Maine I went out biking on one of the back roads and I uh, almost got uh, clipped by a car fortunately I didn't get in trouble at all I I was okay but it I think shook me a little bit made me nervous about biking out on open roads now to move totally on Later, um, I started performing with a youth circus group in Vermont. I was with uh, Circus Mercus's Road Show, uh, which is the, the group just above or just below their uh, proper traveling tour show. So we would go to like uh, nursing homes and schools and show off like juggling and different circus disciplines. And it was through that that I got interested in unicycling. Uh, I learned how to unicycle from a guy in Portland, Maine, called Genoa Balin, who unicycles all over the city. He's a, a really interesting guy. Uh, um, and I joined his little unicycle group, and uh, I learned from there. When you kind of learn how to unicycle, it's a lot of uh, you get onto the pedals and you hold onto a wall or a post um, and then you push off and immediately fall right down. Uh, and <laughs> you do that over and over again. And eventually you get a single rotation and then you fall and you do that again and again. And, and over time you just start getting more and more distance. So what I did to practice was I built a PVC frame in my front yard and I'd push off from it and uh, keep going, and I'd mark with chalk wherever I got. So I had kind of an incremental distance increase. It probably took about two weeks to get around the neighborhood completely of practicing uh, for a few minutes every day. That's an incredible story in itself, Avery. Um, I love the fact that you came to unicycling through the circus as well. I had no idea that you had so many, so many talents. And also thank you for just kind of setting that picture of how you actually learned to unicycle um, as well. And, And the persistence and resourcefulness that you had to do that. I mean, it's no wonder that you can do these kind of more sort of endurance-based challenges. Um, because that in itself, it's like you're trying to trying to get your head around being just on one wheel. And and the physical demands as well, I can imagine, is it completely different to riding on a bike in terms of your sort of core stability and things? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it's definitely similar to riding a bike because of the pedal motion, but it's also mm -hmm. a lot different because most unicycles, like this one I have, they don't have any gears, so there's no coasting. Um, and the pedals are synced to the wheel. So whatever your pedals do, the wheel responds to that. So you can slow down or speed up by uh, controlling the pedals. And there's no, uh, this one does have a brake, but it's just for downhill. So most of the time when you're slowing down, it's just by putting pressure on the pedals. So it's a little bit of a different mechanic. And of course, there's the balance element to it where instead of just balancing left and right, you've got front and back as well. Uh, so I think it's more similar to learning to walk than it is learning to ride a bike because you have all these dimensions that you can uh, have to balance. That's so interesting. Yeah, I was going. I was going to say, as as a runner, it sounds very much more akin to that sort of intuitive um, process, whereby going from walking to running, you're learning to use those kind of proprioception muscles and things in a different way. And it sounds a lot more like that rather than cycling, where you have a kind of you feel more in control on kind of in four aspects. Um, it's just a, a central channel when you're on the unicycle. That's so intriguing. And you mentioned um, in your introduction to unicycling that, that there was a there was a mentor who introduced you to it, and then and then a group that you joined. So so is there a, a kind of community around unicycling? Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I was, uh, that club that I started out with was a small group um, of, uh, you know, local friends. There was maybe six of us, I think. And uh, we had small, uh, like they were small unicycles, like 12 inches is what you usually learn on. Um, and with that size, you can do a lot of tricks and things. So they were all really into like the sort of, uh, it's a lot like a skateboarding culture where you do like uh, wheel walks and uh, you can grind on like uh, rails and hop up uh, stairs and stuff like that. So there's a lot of tricks and things you can do. Uh, but I always kind of struggled with that. I, I still haven't learned to, to bunny hop. It was <laughs> The, <laughs> I can just uh, go forward and I, I can go a little bit backward but not super far so it's still something I'm learning I don't know I saw a video of you on um, on Instagram kind of going along a wall by the sea and I thought oh goodness that looks <laughs> quite terrifying <Yeah>. so <laughs> well that video is very deceptive because that seawall uh, comes up it's a, a car barrier so there's uh a flat concrete area on the other side as well. Uh, so it's not not like I'm going to fall into the ocean. Uh, Avery, <laughs> just... a magician never reveals his tricks. <laughs> right. But, yeah, so there's a huge, uh, a shockingly large community of, of unicyclists. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of unicyclists along the coast that have reached out to me. And uh, I met... Uh, Sabrina in DC, who's going to attempt to unicycle around the world, oh my which is uh, really incredible. I think she'll she'll have good success with that. And I met Matthew in uh, Raleigh, or excuse me, in Durham, North Carolina. And I met Roland in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, it's been a privilege to you know meet 
different unicyclists and, and get a kind of glimpse into the larger community. Do you think because what you do, I mean, you have just explained that there is a bigger community than one might have thought with unicycling. But do you think because you're all interested in this relatively niche thing compared to to, to normal cycling on two wheels, does that form a kind of instant connection between you? Yeah, I think so. It's something uh, we can all relate to learning how to do it and to the, the different uh you know, inherent experiences of learning how to unicycle and, and unicycling. So it is a sort of connective thing. And it's also, it helps you connect to people outside of the community because mm-hmm. it's sort of different. You know, people want to know what you're doing when you ride around on a unicycle. And it is a good conversation starter to to. to meet other people that way I can absolutely imagine that (laughs) and what do you think personally what does unicycling as again opposed to what you were doing with cycling what's that brought to your life what does it give you that is different yeah that's a good question um I think it's changed the way I've sort of interacted with my community back home because I, I've been I after I got uh after I learned how to do it I sort of fell off of the whole circus thing for a while because I got passed up for the uh <laughs> the touring show um which you know it's it is what it is it's in the past <laughs> but I got a little salty about it at the time and I didn't you know I stopped practicing the juggling and all that but what happened was a few years later, I got a job at uh, on a lobster boat working in kind of the touristy downtown as a tour guide. So, so I would have to drive into work and then park and pay, like, depending on the day, 20 to $15 to park my car in order to go to work. So I was basically like, you know, I was losing a big chunk of my my budget just to parking and I was waiting in traffic all day so Mm -hmm. after a few days of that I was like okay that's not gonna work for me long term so I thought you know it's only like a mile maybe two miles to get to work I can bike that and at the time I didn't have a bike so the unicycle was kind of my only option so I started um just on the sidewalk because I was still really nervous about going into the road. Mm. Um, And once I got comfortable on the sidewalk, I started moving into the, uh, into the road every so often. And I just got more and more comfortable with it as I did it. Eventually I got a bigger wheel so I could go a little faster. Um, And I started taking it to school as well during the winter time. (laughs) which you know is not as crazy as it sounds because all you have to do is really you know dress for it and uh the movement keeps you quite warm Mm. i think uh, as well on the coast it's a little easier because the snow melts a lot faster so there's not really any ice on the road after a few days um so that but but to get back to uh what you asked i think doing this and changing 
from driving to cycling made it so that I could see more of this town because I lived here for several years or uh, in Wells, but I hadn't seen a lot of what was around. But when I started cycling, I was able to stop on my way to work or school and check out some of the shops and things that I'd never been into because you can't find parking in the summer. And uh, I found a bunch of public parks and there's a waterfall right near my house that I had no idea it was there until I started uh, cycling. So it's just, uh, it changes the way you move through places that you live. And I think that's really valuable. That's so magical. And did you find, um, I know sort of being, your teenage years are a time when you're sort of working out who you are, how you relate to people, um, and a myriad of other things going on. Do you find also that kind of the, the unicycle and you and what you were doing kind of gave you a sense of your identity kind of within the community as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's definitely something where people started to recognize me. Uh, mm. um, you know, that in, in today's times, it's hard to get, you know, feel individual sometimes. And having something like this is, uh, you know, it feels good to be recognized for something that is somewhat to you I guess <laughs> not to be egotistical about it but it is it, if it's um it made me feel like I was more part of the town and mm. like who uh, like a like a member of a community rather than a transplant from Florida, if that makes sense. <laughs> oh no, absolutely. That that's a wonderful way of explaining it, and certainly not egocentric at all. Um, we're all just on this pathway trying to muddle along, and I think that, I mean, in terms of your uniqueness, I think you're one of the most remarkable young people I've spoken to. So don't ever, oh, don't ever doubt that, Avery. <laughs> and I'm interested just to kind of paint a picture of where you were at with your life um, at the point that you decided to embark on this journey. So tell me what was happening and then kind of what, what inspired you to do this? Yeah. So I was in culinary school. Um, I had started dual enrolling at the community college near me. Um, so I was doing that, that for about a year and it was at the beginning of this that I started learning about a guy from England actually called uh, Ed Pratt. And he unicycled around the world a few years ago. It took him five years. And I started watching him on YouTube. And, uh, you know, I was really inspired because I'd been unicycling for a while. And I thought that was just like an incredible thing for somebody to do. Um, so it kind of got into my mind at that point that I wanted to do a distance trip. But I just didn't have an opportunity until just recently, uh, this summer, I learned that my culinary program was going to get shut down. They ran out of money, which mm -hmm. is, in some ways, it's kind of a bummer because uh, all my teachers and all my, you know, um, fellow students were suddenly out of options there. Uh, and it was a, a not a great moment, but it also gave me a chance to 
rethink what I was doing and it gave me an opportunity to you know seriously consider doing a trip like this because I had a whole semester you know off um so I uh got my bags from a guy in, in uh Asheville North Carolina who who makes them for uh, all of us who do touring it's kind of his uh, uh you know he's the the guy you go to for these bags <laughs> uh, his name's Kerry Gray uh he's super cool and i got the larger wheel i ordered uh from a company uh, called unicycle.com and I sort of started putting together this long distance rig based off of what Ed Pratt had done. Mm-hmm. And at that point I needed to decide where I wanted to go. And I thought it would be interesting to go from my house in Maine to visit my family that lives in Florida. Uh, it kind of made sense. And it also helped a lot that there was a route already established, the uh, East coast greenway mm-hmm. that connected the two states. So I thought that would be the perfect uh, trip. It's not too long uh, and it's not too, uh, too short. And is, is, that on an esta- <laughs> is that on an established cycle path? Cause I know you, you've, you've mentioned about kind of getting very shaken with cycling on the road. Was it important to you to be kind of connecting those two places via an established path? Yeah. Um, the East coast greenway is, a network of trails so it's not quite finished yet uh, it's about a third of the way connected up um so a lot of it is on the road still which is a little scary but at that point i had been pretty used to road riding um on route one because there's no cycle path uh back home in in wells mm. so i figured that that would be uh too terrible uh, a lot of it is uh, on separated trails, though, which are just fantastic. You know, like, even the worst separated trail is, my like, leagues ahead of uh, of the, the, the best road. <laughs> so that helps a lot to have so much of it uh, separated like that. And you're, fun- you're fundraising on this journey as well, aren't you? Is that to go towards the completion of the Greenway? Yeah. Um, originally I didn't know what I wanted to, to, to do. Like, I I wasn't even sure if I was going to complete the trip. Um, I, I kept telling people I was going to Boston originally. Um, and once I got to Boston, I had to consider what I really wanted out of the trip. And at that point I've seen a lot of the, the trails and I had looked at the East coast greenway uh, on their Instagram and everything. So I figured, you know, it would be kind of pointless to do this and not help something, you know? And I thought the East coast greenway would be a good way to do that because I was seeing what they were, you know, it's not something like a nebulous idea of charity where you're not really sure what the money goes to, because, you know, I'm riding on what the money's going to. So I thought that would be perfect. Um, and around Boston, I started fundraising for them. And I, I've just been, you know, astonished by how generous people have been with that. And as you said, that's it's a very embodied experience of fundraising for something. And you're kind of, 
I guess, sort of forming a connection and relationship with the trail as well um, as you go along. And what do you think the trail give, gives to people? And why? what is the importance of it for to be completed and for people to have access to it? Yeah, definitely. I think the way I see it, it's kind of like how I got nervous as a kid when I almost got hit by a car and I stopped cycling, you know, that was, I think that must be an experience that a lot of people have, maybe not that extreme, but people don't generally feel super comfortable next to cars. And I think by having a greenway or a trail, it gives people somewhere where they can build up their comfort level. Uh, And kind of like how I, when I started cycling to work, I, I rode on the sidewalk. It, it's a degree of separation that makes you feel a lot safer. And it is a lot safer to be separated from cars uh, when you're cycling. So I think what it does is it makes cycling accessible to more than just risk takers and, uh, you know, intense athletes. Mm. It's somewhere for young children and older people and delivery drivers and anybody can go out there and uh, ride and feel safe to, you know, get comfortable uh, cycling. And you also see a lot of people, not just cyclists, like people walking their dogs or just, uh, you know, walking around in their neighborhoods. And uh, in some of the more rural areas, I've even seen people riding horses or walking cattle uh, down the path. So it's just a sort of, you know, a shared space where anybody can really uh, exercise or or commute. Mm, I can see, I can really see the attraction of that. And you did, um, you mentioned the word um, athlete there as well. And it's interesting that I guess you're, you're sort of crossing a lot of boundaries between sort of being being an athlete and someone who's traveling um, and then obviously kind of coming from a circus background as well. And um, I'm sort of interested in how you sort of position yourself. And I guess you are kind of rewriting the perception of what unicycling is as well in a really innovative way, because people might have previously kind of identified unicycling as being for tricks or for the circus, but you're using it in, in quite an aesthetic sort of capacity. <laughs> um, so how, what's your relationship with that? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't really consider myself to be an athlete, although definitionally it probably is true. I, I think I'm more of a, a commuter than a, an athlete, you know, but the thing about cycling is, it's kind of, um, it, it kind of tricks you a little bit because I never like, I, I, I can't, I'm impressed with people like you that, that can run and, and do these sort of really intense um, activities. And I, I, uh, I don't know, I get really tired running. <laughs> I, I hope you'll understand. But um, what cycling did is, it gave me a way to sort of get out and get active, but I also felt like I was doing something. I was going to work. So it wasn't just that I was going to ride for the the sake of it. I I had sort of a a purpose in it. And it also, I think, helped me keep a schedule. You know, I think a, a lot of people have a hard time 
when, when you, you know, you're like, uh, my new year's resolution is I'm going to go to the gym and then you maybe go for a few, few days and, uh, eventually it sort of fades away. But for me, cycling to school gave me a scheduled opportunity to work out without feeling like I was actually working out, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's purposeful movement. I think that's a really valuable takeaway for people who feel like, oh, I can't do that because I'm not training for a marathon or training for a specific thing. Well, you don't need to. Movement can just be a, a way of living, as you've kind of described it as well, albeit that your commute at the moment is quite a long one, I guess. <laughs> but what was, um? so how has it been physically doing this long challenge? Because had you, what was like the longest distance that you'd actually cycled before doing this? Before I started on the trip, I would go after work and I'd, like maybe like the first trip I did, I think was out to Mount Agamedicus, which is close by to my house. And, um, it, it's sort of, it's like a, you know, it's a, a smaller mountain, but it, it, that was kind of exciting because that's somewhere I'd only ever been in a car. I'd never like been there any other way. So it was kind of different to get to experience that in a, a new setting and um then the next time i went to noble lighthouse which is a little further past my work and then from there i did a trip to portsmouth new hampshire and then i did one to portland maine which is in sort of the opposite direction um and that was at that point I was like, okay, this is the furthest I can do in one day. Mm -hmm. I'm going to need like a tent and if I want to go any further. And at that point I was already looking into the bags and everything. So it just kind of made sense to do a longer distance trip, a multi-day trip. But no, before I left, I hadn't done any sort of overnighting. Wow. And so how were those first few days doing it back to back? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was definitely sore. It's <laughs> the kind of thing where it was, you know, nothing like I'd ever had to do before. But after a few, few days, I got kind of used to it. And it's, um, I only do maybe 20 miles a day. So I'm not exerting myself anymore. The longer I go, it's just, uh, at this point, very consistent. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm used to it. Um, and I don't get, you know, sore anymore. Mm -hmm. usually <laughs> uh and it also helped because i had a lot of friends and family on all the different towns and cities in those first few miles um and they took me in and uh helped me out to like get places to stay so i didn't act camp anywhere um until i got to cape cod and what was yeah. that, what, although you've obviously been connecting with family and had that support and things, I mean, you must spend quite a lot of time alone as well. And as you said, you have done some um, independent camping as well. And what's that experience been like for you, having to have that self-sufficiency um, and being by yourself traveling a really long way? What's that been like? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a little challenging because I'm used to having 
you know, my phone all the time, uh, to be totally honest. And uh, during this trip, I have my charging block and everything, but I do have to be really careful about when I use my phone. Um, and I've had a lot of time without any kind of like music or anything like that, which is pretty different for me. I, I usually uh, am on YouTube a lot. And <laughs> it's been, been, I think, but positive, if that makes sense. I think um, I've been able to listen to what's around more, uh, like birds and cars. And it's a, a a dimension of the public space that's kind of uh, it's hard to explain. It sort of um, gives you an idea of what a space is like. And it's so important. Like sound is interesting because it informs how comfortable we are somewhere. Uh, like on the trails, when you're not next to cars, it's so quiet and you hear bike bells and occasionally like a dog and some birds. Um, and it's kind of a, a relaxing experience. And then when you cycle next to cars, it becomes so apparent how loud they are and how it makes you feel, you know, stressed. And uh, they kind of sound like, like uh, those cartoon bombs where it's like, you know, you hear them coming up behind you and they get louder and louder and then, you know, they pass you. But, um, you know, it, it's a, a weird experience, you know, to, to be next to, next to traffic. <laughs> That's so interesting and perceptive thinking about creating your own kind of audio scape simply by the act of one switching off and then two switching on to to sounds that you might kind of disregard in in everyday life where we're so kind of interconnected with everything else that's happening around us and do you think that your relationship sort of to to nature um and the environment has changed as you've traveled um i think so i uh that's a good question. I feel like I've definitely seen a lot more of nature uh, compared to when I would drive to places. I, I see more birds, especially. I, I love photographing birds on my Instagram. And um, it's been interesting moving down the coast, seeing all the different kinds of birds. They, they kind of change as you get to different climates and whatnot. But yeah, that's something I think you miss a lot. Uh, those sorts of small, like the lizards and squirrels and animals and all these little details that kind of go unnoticed when you're moving super fast. Yeah, so I was going to comment on on the fact that you are you are traveling slower than you might otherwise on a bike. And do you think that's one of the the plus points of that, the, the, the slowing down actually enables those interactions. Yeah, definitely. And at a, a larger scale than that, I've seen more towns and cities that I think you'd otherwise maybe skip over on a bike, uh, or even, or especially in a car or a plane. Mm. It's, um, so much slower. You have more time 
to spend in, in small towns and places like that. And I, I've been to a lot of places that I've never even like heard of before and had like really fantastic food and met incredible people that I might not have otherwise uh, run into. Absolutely. And you, you said before about connecting with people. And I did just want to delve a little deeper into that. Um, you must have met an incredible range of really interesting characters yeah. along your route. So do you have any particular anecdotes that you'd like to share? Um, I can't think of anyone. I, I mean, there have been just so many people, you know, um, really incredible people. I think, uh, I, I can't think of anyone in particular that stuck out more than anyone else. Um, I've collected uh, on my helmet. This isn't going to be very interesting for the audio. Uh, <laughs> but describe it. Here you can see all the names all over my helmet. Oh, wow. So Avery is now just holding up his helmet. Um, maybe if you send me a picture of it, then I can post it to the show notes of, of lots of people who've signed his helmet, um, much like you would if you had like your arm or your leg in a, in a cast, if it was broken and people sign it. Um, but you've got a helmet full of wonderful names. So what what's that been about? <laughs> yeah, so anyone that I stay with, um, signs of the helmet so it's sort of a record of um uh, of all these people that have helped me out and uh, as well like uh there's a couple of special cases where, where someone was just i had a, a particularly interesting conversation or, or met someone yeah interesting uh that i really wanted on there so uh you know it's just sort of a, a record of people you know that i've run into and that's amazing that people have reached out and, and, and you've stayed with them as well. Um, and what's that experience been like? Because that's, that's a real kind of establishment of trust between you and, and, and strangers or people who are kind of one step removed from each other. What's that been like? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely scary starting off. Mm. Um, I started with a lot of my family, friends, um, I stayed with like my parents' roommates from college and I stayed with their high school buddies. And I, I've run into a lot of people from my family's history that, you know, people you might not talk to outside of weddings or funerals. <laughs> but um, so it's been kind of interesting to talk to these people and, and sort of learn more about my parents and uh, my family. But also I've stayed with a lot of total strangers, which is always a little, uh, a little interesting. I get anxious about it leading up to it. And then as soon as I meet them, it's, I mean, it's always fine. I've had great experiences with everybody I've stayed with and I am just incredibly, you know, grateful to everybody. You know, I definitely came from that sort of suburban stranger danger mindset. Um, and my parents are definitely very much that way, uh, which is, you know, it's good to be um, careful and be aware of what's going on around you and all that. But I think um, it's been interesting to learn how to talk with strangers and, and make these sorts of connections with people that you don't know, because it's something that my whole life I've been told don't do that. <laughs> um, and I think it's important because, 
you got to leave your bubble, you know, um, for me, it was like living in sort of an insular suburban neighborhood where you don't see anybody out, you know, school or your, your immediate neighbors. And I think that isolated me from learning about other people. And I've had a chance through this trip to meet people that I don't have a ton in common with and who might not even agree with me, you know, politically or socially, but hearing what they have to say helps me inform my opinions on things like for, for building out bike lanes. I've stayed with a lot of my dad's friends who are more um, to the right on the political spectrum than I am. And they've had a lot of interesting things to say about cycling lanes um that i don't agree with but it's good to hear them because if you don't understand where people are coming from then it's impossible to convince them that it's a good thing that outdoor spaces and to not drive everywhere even though you know driving is such a big part of our culture and for a lot of people you do have to drive you know there aren't a ton of options for my mom, for example, she lives in Wells and she works at the hospital in Portland and there is a train, but it costs like an insane amount of money just to go a few miles to get to the city and um, it only runs once a day. So once you get there, you're trapped until the next day when it goes back, um, which is, you know, it's no good work. So her only option is to drive at that point. And, uh, I think that that's okay. You know, there's, there's times where you have to drive, you know, I certainly do. Um, but I also think that there should be options, you know, there needs to be more variety in transportation so that we can have choices about how we get around. And, uh, I, I, one of the interesting things that I think helps people who have, um, you know, the car dependency understand where we're coming from is to explain how cycling helps, uh, car drivers because we aren't like, I, I drive and I cycle, but when I'm cycling, I'm not on the road in a car. So I'm not taking up so much geometry, uh, and I'm not contributing to congestion. So by taking some people and putting them in a bus or a train or, uh, on a cycle lane, you're taking someone off the road and you're making it less congested so that drivers can get where they need to go, uh, easier for the people who actually do need to drive. You're doing this, obviously, at a time when politics all around the world is incredibly divisive. Um, and the more that a lot of these these divisions are moving online, people are becoming very kind of click culture with it and sort of othering opposing views and kind of caricaturing them in a way that actually just creates more division rather than solving any problems and actually what you're doing is actually recognizing that okay yes we might have differing opinions but I'm going to talk to you in a language that isn't condescending and demeaning and making you 
sound ignorant you're actually doing it in a way that connects people with what you're doing in a way that is tangible to them which is incredibly insightful (laughs) (laughs) thank you well I think um you know in in all things like the the ruling class wants us to be divided you know because if we don't organize together then nothing's going to change and i think one of the ways they do that is you know by convincing us that we're in separate groups like drivers versus cyclists is a a a micro micro example of that i don't it's a, a strange phenomenon because most people aren't either a cyclist or a driver most people are both you know a lot of people will cycle occasionally, like maybe to uh, the grocery store, and then maybe they'll drive to work. You know, it's a lot more gray than it is anything else. It's not a personality, it's a mode of transportation. And I think as soon as we understand that our interests are aligned with everybody else's interests with uh, transportation, then it's going to be a lot easier to change up the system. You know, we just need to understand where our common uh, commonalities are. Absolutely. And I, although, as you say, it's a microcosm, it's a really important one because it's actually symbolic of much bigger and important issues. So, I mean, we're kind of touching on the, you know, the sort of climate activism and things there as well. And and that is probably one of the biggest dividers and and issues of our times and so yeah kind of these kind of supposed divided identities of being a car user or or a cyclist this is really kind of at the at the sort of ground level where we need to do the work because (laughs) it's the one that people can relate to rather than kind of statistics and things that might seem quite alien and I'm quite interested in how you're sort of also documenting your journey you do some wonderful photography um and um how has your relationship with how you're kind of using your social media changed through the journey are you now seeing it as a way of communicating some of these things that are coming up for you from your travels yeah I definitely try to show um I mean, it's impossible to really give a a full picture of what the trip is like, but I I try to highlight a lot of the infrastructure and the design elements that might be challenging to cyclists, like um, disconnected uh, sidewalks and crossings and different things that are a little frustrating. And I also try to highlight a lot of the really great infrastructure um, by like... uh, videoing it and giving people an idea of what it's like to be in these, uh, in these places. Um, I think it's my relationship to social media is, I, I, it's kind of a a challenge because it is definitely, um, it has its upsides and its downsides. I think it, it messes with, with my, 
my mind mentally and how I, I think about myself. And I definitely like the numbers game and all that has been hard to not think about. And, uh, like, uh, how successful I've been on it. It's, it's something that I have to separate myself from. Um, at the same time, it's extremely positive because it helps me get the message out about the Greenway. And I wouldn't have been able to fundraise the, the same way without this platform. So it's definitely a mixed bag. I think on on the whole, social media is a, an extremely positive thing. I think it, it really helps us connect to, to people in a, in a totally different way. But it has a lot of issues that I think are... Um, definitely something that can be overcome, but it takes a lot of effort to, to change how I interact with, uh, with the online space. I can, I can understand that. And, um, I'm sure that your relationship with it will kind of, will change as time goes on. And as there is, I think sometimes quite a lot of pressure on people the moment that they start speaking about issues to then become a voice of something and and that comes with a lot of kind of expectations as well so I, I think just keep doing what you're doing because it does just feel so relatable and human and and kind <laughs> um and I think we need more of that. One um, one of the stories I was reading that you shared was about your interaction with a cat the other day. Can you just reflect oh, on that? Because I think people should hear about this. <laughs> yeah. A few nights ago, I was um, cycling through a sort of swamp kind of, uh, I guess, I don't know if it's a mangrove forest, but it was a, a wildlife preserve. And it was out in the middle of nowhere. And I pulled off the road to this kind of, uh, you know, like picnic area uh, because there was a thunderstorm rolling in and I wanted to be sort of undercover. So this was the first time I camped relatively out in the open where I was sort of visible, which was a little scary. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, park ranger came through and did a loop in the parking lot, but I don't think he saw me because I don't know if he would have kicked me out or so it was a little like scary. Um, and then the thunderstorm started. And, uh, it was kind of nice because I was undercover, so I didn't have to worry about getting wet. And uh, I like the sound of like the rain on the tin roof and all that. And I was on the phone with my sister because I, I talked with my, my family a lot at the end of the day and I thought like I heard like a bird or something outside of my tent um and I unzipped it and I looked out and it was uh, a cat I was <laughs> meowing underneath the um the protection I think the rain had like kind of brought us under there and um she wanted like some uh some water and food uh, but I didn't have any uh any food that I, I, I felt cats would eat. <laughs> I don't know what cats really like. Uh, and I had like some mac and cheese and I, I was like, I don't know if they, they can eat that. <laughs> but um, it was, the cow was like soaking wet and it was just so, um, so affectionate, you know, it made me miss my, my cat back home. And uh, it had like a flea collar on, so I thought it must belong to someone, but it was also like missing a tail and it looked kind of scrawny. And 
So I was like, okay, I'm going to hang out with this cat. And it kind of wasn't, um, I thought the cat would leave at some point, but she just sort of stuck around. So I went into the tent to go to bed and um, she kept headbutting the side of the tent. So I was like, okay. <laughs> and I, I let her in and we just kind of um, spent the night in, under the, the cover in, until the storm was over. And uh, I had an interview with the news that night. So the cat got to be on uh, on international or on the national news, which is kind of uh, kind of fun. And then the next morning, the cat stuck around and uh, follow, kept following me around. So I was afraid to leave because I didn't want to go back on the road and potentially like endanger the cat. Mm. But when um, people started showing up at the park, this guy um, I met called uh, Bob, he came up with cat food and he set it out and a bunch of cats came out and started like eating the cat food and all that. And he said that um, he didn't recognize the cat that I was with. Uh, so he thought that it must have been a new a new stray. So that people come out to the park to dump unwanted cats, which made me really sad. <laughs> it was kind of a horrible, you know, tragic thing. But fortunately, he uh, works with the uh, wildlife center or the uh, the adoption clinic. I mean, and he took her in to get uh, medicated and scanned for a chip and hopefully adopted at some point. So I, I kept in touch with him. So hopefully I'll, I'll hear when she gets rehomed. Uh, but it was just, um, you know, a strange sort of good encounter. I, I, I love cats and it was, you know, a beautiful moment. <laughs> That's such a delightful story. And just an, again, an example of kind of creating a home for yourself when both of you were sort of quite lost that evening by the sounds of it as well. Have you read um, A Street Cat Named Bob? No, that's a good, uh, I'll have to look into that. I think it's a film as well. Um, but um, yeah, you should read that. I think you'd really enjoy it because it, it shares a lot and it's kind of serendipitous that the guy was called Bob as well. Yeah, well, I, I was just like, he, he told me about like what he does. Um, and I, I mean, just an incredible amount of dedication to help out stray animals like that come out to the park every day to feed them and try and get them rehomed it's just just an incredible guy so generous of spirit and how you you said at the beginning of our, our conversation just before we we came live and recording um that you're quite close to finishing now um this this epic trip how do you envisage that finish yeah um well I'm hopefully going to finish uh, before February. Um, I'm pretty close to the end now, so it's uh, it's starting to feel more achievable. <laughs> and then uh, my uh, family is going to try and meet me uh, in Key West, which will be really fabulous uh, to see them. I, I saw my dad uh, when I went through Jacksonville, and he rode with me in New York a little bit as well he, he rented one of those um, electric bikes and then I rode with my mom between Baltimore and Washington DC uh, so I, I have had 
you know, lots of support from them and they've helped me out a lot, like finding, uh, people to stay with. So, um, you know, that's been great, but it'll be nice to see them properly again and, and, you know, know that I'll get to go home (laughs) afterwards. And what do you think your sort of main takeaway will be from this? Um, yeah, I think that it's definitely, uh, driven me to want to get some of this infrastructure built back home. Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't have a ton of bike amenities in Wells, not to uh, get to my work or school at least. So I think there are a lot of little things um, in the community that could be amended and uh, changed to make it easier, more accessible to cycle. So I want to get involved with that a little bit and, uh, you know, maybe get some of that implemented back home and what about other people following your story or who've seen you en route what what message do you hope they take from what you've done or are doing (laughs) that's a good question (laughs) I don't know exactly what message I want people to uh take away I um I, I hope that it shows people that cycling is uh uh not just kind of for um, recreation. It's something that you can actually accomplish something with. And definitely other people have shown that as well. There are hundreds of cycling tourists and um, definitely a lot of unicycle tourists as well. But I, I hope people will see my my story and, and uh, know that it's not that difficult <laughs> to, to, to bike. And it's... Uh, it really is has a lot of benefits to it compared to uh, other modes of transportation. <laughs> and what are your plans when you when you get home? You mentioned there sort of some advocacy that you want to do with instigating more routes, but what what what's on the horizon for Avery next? Yeah, that's a good question. I definitely have to finish my uh, my degree. I'm going to transfer to uh, a different school and. Uh, hopefully finish that up next semester. Um, but aside from that, I don't know. That's a good, good question. I, I don't, I don't have anything lined up right away to get home. It'll be kind of nice to, you know, as I, I, this is definitely time off, you know, it's kind <laughs> of a vacation, but at the same time, it's also, um, you know, it'll be nice to not have a goal for a while. <laughs> Just be a normal teenager, <laughs> whatever that looks like. I don't know what a normal teenager is, but. <laughs> and so I have um, three kind of quick fire questions for you, Avery. So the first one is what's your favorite animal and why? Oh, um, I love parrots. Because my neighbor in Florida had a a, a Quaker parrot, um, and she was like the sweetest bird, and uh, I just love how you know inquisitive and intelligent they are. I think 
they're uh, you know really fascinating animals. I think parrots is my favorite animal. That's a cool animal. I think <laughs> I've I've seen on your um, social media that you do have this kind of affinity with birds, which delights me because I I'm a big bird person too. Um, since I've been kind of inside a lot, I've now got a bird feeder like right in front of my stationary bike so I can watch the birds and things and I just think there's something so relaxing and and but also spirited about them so um yeah I can see that and parrots are so personable I think (laughs) second question um ice cream or a peanut butter sandwich Oh, ice cream, of course. I, um, I'm i sponsored by the Scoop Deck. So, oh, it's not a, uh, an official sponsorship, but I, uh, my sister used to work there, and uh, we, we're good friends with the owner. Um, he's a master falconer, actually. He, he he's, uh, trains a bunch of, like, hunting birds and birds of prey. And so he's, a, he's an interesting guy, but that's a different story. Um, <laughs> So he owns the ice cream shop, and uh, I thought if I wore the T-shirt, I could get some free ice cream when I got back. <laughs> so uh, I'll definitely ice cream. <laughs> I think you'll deserve all the ice cream. What's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Um, black raspberry. Black raspberry. Okay, I haven't heard that one before. That's an interesting interesting selection sounds delicious though (laughs) right scoop deck if you're listening definitely lots of ice cream for this guy he's ridden a long way for this (laughs) and my final question Avery which you probably uh know is what does joy mean to you um yeah that's a good question I think to me uh joy is doing whatever <laughs> makes you uh whatever makes you happy and whatever doesn't hurt other people um I think that's an important caveat but I think if there's something you know in your life that brings you joy whether it's bikes or uh anything else you know just just do it <laughs> that's kind of uh, obvious advice but there you go. <laughs> no, but people don't say it enough. And I just want to say thank you so much, firstly, for spending this time, um, especially when it's kind of mid mid route for you. Um, although I know that you're so close to finishing. But I think one thing that I've I've learned through this is you are just so delightfully yourself. And I think that oh. is such a wonderful example for everyone, not just people your age, um, but but for everyone and in terms of possibly you didn't anticipate it but I think that you are such a beacon for that idea of of unity and connection um in in sort of divided times so thank you for just being you Avery because you're ace and I've just enjoyed talking to you so so much um and if people want to follow you is the best place to do that via your Instagram if I if I link to that in the show notes yeah yeah uh, my Instagram is uh it's just my name Avery Suter uh and it should be a picture of a seagull picture is it's a bird isn't it <laughs> so follow along for um wonderful stories of cat rescues um ice cream <laughs> and um whatever this unicycle is going to be called as well by popular opinion <laughs> 
Thank you, Avery. And we will really look forward to seeing you finish and what you do next. And please just don't don't stop speaking and doing because what you're doing is great. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. This is a, a great, great uh, privilege. A nice opportunity. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Avery. Speak soon. I am so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast and if you've enjoyed today's episode I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.